So inasmuch as the experience of Talmud Torah is so central to a person's life and of course to his religious experience, so there are many metaphors, not just metaphors, but different ways of expressing Talmud Torah culled from the world in which human beings live. So for example, Talmud Torah study although it primarily seems to us as if it's a cognitive experience, one performed with a brain, or at least a brain and some associated organs, ears to listen, eyes to read the text. But various statements of Chazal, based on several psukim, associate Torah study with different parts of the human body. And by affixing Torah study to different parts, very, in many cases, unlikely parts of the human body, parts which you wouldn't expect to be involved in Torah study, Chazal were able to, on the one hand, establish this deep tethering between Talmud Torah and basic human experience, and also uncover different hues or layers of Talmud Torah based on the body part that Talmud Torah is associated with. So, for example we would expect Torah to be primarily associated with, as I said before, the brain. And the brain itself is not something which Tanakh per se or even Chazal too often identify. The brain as the center of cognitive activity is, uh, or at least the mapping of the brain, is very much a modern, this modern relative to Chazal, a modern development. But we would feel that the brain perhaps eyes and ears, eyes to read text, ears to listen to conveyed ideas. They would be the primary um, body parts involved in Torah study. And yet, if we look carefully, we see and we sense other parts of the human body that are drawn into the Talmud Torah experience. So, for example, a person's mouth. The role of mouth in Torah study is already established in Pesukim in the Torah. In Parshas Bo, Laman Tihyeh Taras Hashem Beficha. Torah should be in a person's mouth. Now, from a sta- from a from a purely halachic standpoint, this interprets this determines that the parchment upon which Torah is written has to be something that is edible, halachically has to be taken from a kosher animal, not from a treif animal, other halachos. But the actual literal translation of the Pasuk, the Torah should be in your mouth. And if we read it literally, it doesn't just mean you should pursue Torah in a metaphoric sense, but you should mouth Torah, should voice Torah, articulate Torah. Man Torah is Or as Yeshaya writes in Perak Nuntes, Le'emusha Mipicha, Mipizaracha, Again, associating Torah with mouth, or the ability to mouth and articulate statements. And we don't have to look in Yeshaya or in a allusion in Parsha's bow, but when Moshe delivers his final statements in Parsha's Nisavim, Torah is very close to you. It shouldn't be seen as something which is in Shemayim. Beficha. We'll talk about the lave in Mertashem in a few moments, but certainly Moshe highlights the mouth as an important organ in Torah experience. Now, the place in which Chazal 
most directly address the role of the mouth is in Erevin, or Nun Gimel. Erevin Nun Gimel describes an interesting story. Bruria noticed a Talmud who was studying Bilachisha, who was studying quietly. She scolded him. Amrolei lochach kaso, she quoted a Pasuk in Shmuel. Shmuel Beis, Perach of Gimel. Ki lochein beisi, imkel. Ki bris olam samlia, Kadosh Baruch Hu delivered a complete bris. As I mentioned in some of the earlier, or eternal bris, in some of the earlier shiurim, the word bris is always seen as a double entendre to Torah. Torah is a covenant between man and God. So according to the Gemara, in Erevin, this eternal bris is the bris of Torah. And, Shmu- and in Shmuel Beis, it's referred to as Arucha Bakol Ushmura. It is protected, it is preserved, because it is Arucha Bakol. Because it is completely um, set up, uh, organized, fixed, Aruch, like Shulchan Aruch. So Bruria quoted this Pasuk that day to that Talmud who was studying quietly, and she said, how can you study quietly? Arucha bakol ushmura. Im arucha beramach evarim shulcha. And there are other Midrashim that interpret this as well. It doesn't seem to be Bruria's invention. There are other Midrashim. So she was seemingly quoting something which is well known. Im arucha beramach evarim shulcha. If the Torah is what's the word we should say, is associated, is firmly fixed, and all of your 248 parts of your body, mishtameris, then Torah will be preserved. Shmura. If it's arucha bakol, so then it will be shmura, as the end of the Pasuk suggests. The imlad, if it doesn't percolate throughout your 248 body parts, then ena mishtameris. It won't be preserved. And the Gemara continues, Tana, Talmud Echad Ha'ila Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer had a Talmud. Sheyashonah Belachash. Who would study again quietly. After three years, he forgot his Torah study. It's a very intriguing Gemara. On the one hand, the Pasuk the Gemara quotes can be seen as a Pasuk, as a title for this year. The Gemara doesn't talk specifically about the mouth, but just in general trying to stretch Torah to every single body part beyond the obvious. I don't know that I can identify, or that anyone can identify, the dimensions of Torah that are associated with each of the 248 body parts. But it does affirm this desire to stretch Torah from a purely cognitive study into one which is, as we would say, experiential, which suffuses the entire human being, the entire human experience, even the physical part of a human being. But there's no question that the Gemara in Erevin applies this Pasuk, which again talks about the body in general, Arucha Bakol, Beramache Varim, and highlights the role of the mouth, the role of speaking Torah. Bruria chastised this Talmud who studied quietly. The Gemara reinforces this notion by citing the story of Rabbi Yezer's Talmud who studied quietly and forgot his Torah in three years which is consistent with the Pasuk in Shmuel Bey's and Beria's statement. It seems like by stretching Torah to the body in general, and to the mouth in particular, you can protect it and preserve it and retain it. Arucha bakol ushmura. By establishing arucha mikol, you can guarantee that it's shmura.
a similar statement in Yalkut Shimoni and in other Midrashim based in a Pasuk in Mishle. Pasuk in Mishle, Perak Dalit, a Perak Muslim Mishle is a metaphor for Torah. But this parak seems to speak in more direct terms. Bini lidvarai hakshiva, listen to my words. Lamarai hataznacha. Al yalizu meinecha shamreim mitoch levavecha. Do not ignore my words. Keep them in your heart. Ki chayim heim lemotzaihem. They are life to the motzaihem, which literally means to those who find them. Ulechol besara marpe. And to all your body it can be healing. Now this pasuk particularly the last Pasuk, Lechol B'Sara Marpe, speaks about the salutary impact of Talmatara. In fact, that very same Gemara in Erevin, which quotes Bruria's scolding of that Talmud who studied quietly in silence, very famous Gemara. Gemara says, Nandaf Nun Dalet in Erevin, Chash Berosho, a person who has a headache, Yasak Batara, Chash Begrono, a person who has a throat Problem, Yasak Batara, Chashbe Meav, digestive issues, Yasak Batara, Chashbe Atzmosav, bone issues, Yasak Batara, Chashbe Chol Gufo, Yasak Batara. Even if a person is ill entirely, a systemic illness, he should study Tara. Shenamar Lechol Bissaro Marpe. It is healing, it is medicinal to your entire body. So, and in fact, uh, many Rishonim struggle with the question as to whether a person is allowed to see a doctor and to consult modern medicine to heal illness. After all, from a theological standpoint, a person should have a Muna and a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And according to this Gemara, the, the medicine is, is readily available, the study of Torah. And of course we believe, as believing Jews, as Orthodox and believing Jews, that this Gemara is true. Like everything else, Torah is the source of all human experience. If a person really studies Torah the way he should, the way it should be studied, without question, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, the day he died, uh, did not, the, as the Pasuk itself says, did not suffer any impact of old age. His strength wasn't reduced. His energy was in no way depleted. Supposedly, there's a story about the Vilna Gon that, who did not as we would say, maintain typically seen healthy lifestyle. He didn't sleep a lot. He slept two hours a night in 30-minute intervals. He would only eat bread that was soaked in water. So you would think that this would have a very negative impact upon his physical health. And evidently when he died, the doctors were surprised. They said that he could have lived uh, many, many more years than he did based on his personal health. So they didn't see his death as the natural impact of old age or something supernatural, something beyond their ability to explain. Of course, most of us do see doctors and do consult with typical medicinal procedures or do employ typical medicinal procedures, but that could very well be because we're not confident in our own ability to study Torah the way it should be studied, nor in our ability to believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu with the type of belief that would warrant HaKadosh Baruch Hu's healing um, so to speak, supernatural healing um, opportunities. So this is an important Gemara in Erevin, and it's based on that Pasuk in Mishle. But the first part of that last Pasuk that I read, Ki Chayim Heim Lamotzai Heim, Torah is life-giving to those who find it. So the Yalkut Shimoni, and again many Midrashim, interpret this not Chayim Heim Lamotzai Heim, Ela Lamotziehem, to those who mouth the words of Torah, it's Chayim. And the Medrash quotes the story of Shmuel who told Rav Yehuda, Psach Pumach, Kari, Psach Pumach, 
Tani, when you should open your mouth and study, you should open your mouth and read, so that the Torah should be well preserved, and of course, if Torah is well preserved, then you'll be uh, you'll be privileged to long life as a result of your excellence in Torah study. So these are various psukim, Moshe's pasuk, Beficho v'levavcha, the pasuk in Bo, Torah Hashem Beficho, Yeshaya, Mipicha, Mipizaracha, and Mishlein. These are probably just four of the more well-known psukim. There are other references. And the question really is, what role does verbalization of Torah play? and particularly in the context of these psukim. So without question, the Gemara in Erevin and the Yalkut Shimoni are talking about the importance of verbalization and speaking Torah in order to allow retention. After all, that's the Pasuk in Shmuel Beis, Arucha Bakal Ushmura. If it is Aruch, if it is spoken, then it is retained. Or as Rabbi Eliezer told his Talmud, if you don't speak it, you'll forget it, and his Talmud actually forgot his Torah within three years. The same Gemara in Erevin, Daf Nun Dalet. There's no question that by verbalizing Torah, you can articulate it more clearly, you can organize it without question. Anything which is articulated and clarified is more internally organized and better understood. Reb Chaim, the Rav's grandfather, would always say that a chisaran in Hasbara is a chisaron in Havana. The inability to explain something really bespeaks an inability to understand something deeper. And anyone who has taught before understands that preparing a shear is a great aid in articulating the concepts more clearly to yourself. To present them to others, to speak them, to convey them, forces you to understand them at a deeper level. That's why delivering a shear is not just reading a sugi, but thinking about how to present the material, and how to present the material forces you to distinguish between the basic issues and the secondary issues, between the easier issues and the more difficult issues. You have to prepare, prepare extensively for delivering a, a coherent and pedagogically sound shear, and that preparation gives you a sharper insight into the sugya. By speaking Tara, by... Um, as it were, converting it from something internal in the world of thought into something external, you'll organize it better, and by organizing it better, you'll understand it and retain it better. Very often, obviously, the the gift of retaining information is by organizing and classifying and, artic- and, and, and creating categories. That's why so many people employ mnemonics. Even the Gemara employs mnemonics in order to try to say, well, what does what do these Gemaras have in common, and what do these ideas have in common, and how can I think of a, uh, a quick Rashi Tevis, a quick acronym, to try to remember the various levels, the various ideas. If this is true, then two questions present themselves. How important would verbalization be today? Two things have changed since these statements were issued by Chazal. Number one, Torah is now no longer an oral tradition, but it is written. It's already written and articulated. So it would be easier as an oral tradition to just um, think about it, to speak it and to think about it. And merely thinking about Torah may not give you the same ability to retain Torah. In today's environment where we're reading from hopefully well-organized svarim, 
whether they have the organization level of the Rambam, or even less organized. Even the Gemara, which is very meandering and chaotic, still has some degree of organization. Pages and periods and Mishnayos and Gemaras which begin. So that level of clarification and categorization, the Arucha, which Shmuel Beis speaks of, which Bruria offer this Talmud, has already been performed to a degree. In a very literal way, we have a Shulchan Aruch. So we have a Shulchan Aruch and we can easily index the Shulchan Aruch. So how important would it be to actually verbalize your ideas? Second of all, not only has Torah been written, but the methods for organization and categorization are more readily available. Even when Gemara was written, text writing was not that popular. People didn't have pens and paper and printing presses today. For example, if a person sits down and studies Torah next to a computer, next to a laptop, and is organizing his notes, and some people use flowcharts and PowerPoints and file storage and storing all the shirim for Bav Metziah and sequential uh, organization, sequential order, that could produce a level of organization of aruch, which will um, will allow the shmura in ways that maybe mere verbalization won't. I say this for two reasons. First of all, because sometimes actually speaking words of Tara may, so to speak, get in the way of other attempts that may be more effective at organizing. So, for example, the image I spoke about before, if you're sitting in front of a, a laptop or a piece of paper, should you spend your time mouthing and speaking the Torah, as the Gemara in Erevin suggests? Or could you accomplish not more, but effectively the same goal of the Gemara through a different means? Has The goal obviously remains the same. Goals don't change. But do the means change? So... By speaking Torah, I can't be, it's hard to be speaking and writing at the same time. Typically, the image of someone speaking Torah is someone sitting over a Gemara, saying a, a black Gemara, laying a black Gemara. Now, again, the two don't have to be exclusive. There could be different stages. When a person's involved in actually learning a Gemara, that could be the moment of speaking. And then when he sits down to articulate, to write, to classify, that could be the moment in which an additional level of storage and retention is provided. Obviously, the larger question is in this context of a base matters. This is a classic question in any public Torah learning setting. Your attempt to mouth Torah words could perhaps come at the expense of someone else's attempt to study Torah. And this is uh, the age-old question as to how loud a base matters should be. On the one hand, I mean, certainly the loud talk and the loud speaking, in a, independent of the Torah retention... Loud talking just creates energy and infects other people with Torah interests. And people coming to a base matters is not a quiet study wall, but you feel hopefully there's an energy level which draws you in. So you don't want the base matters to be quiet. You want there to be uh, activity and loud voices. And in addition, of course, independent of the energy level for others based on these Gemara. It's just an individual person sitting and learning may want to mouth his Gemara, may want to sing the classic... Uh, tone or tunes associated with Gemara learning. Different cultures have different tunes, but each culture has its own tune, and each uh, Ashkenazim have a tune, and Svaradim have a tune. On the other hand, you could be very disruptive to people who want to study. So these are age-old questions, and no one can really answer those questions. Each person has their own 
both the people learning and the people listening. Some people, when they're learning, they get very upset and very sensitive when other people are being loud and they ask people to be quiet. Other people say, look, it's the base matters and if it's loud, I have to move my own seat or go somewhere else to learn to concentrate. Very often, when people walk into a base matters for the first time, they're shocked at the decibel level and how people can concentrate with so many people screaming. It's atypical to parallel Lahavdil academic settings. And then from the other standpoint, when people are learning their own Torah, some people feel like it's not their place to create a stir and a commotion that will disrupt other people, and other people take this Gemara literally. But there's no question that the primary thrust of the Gemara is to create an arucha, so as to enable Shmura. And the method that the Gemara and the Medrash talk about is a method of verbalization and articulation. And one can only wonder if the methods have changed, and whether that change is meant to come in the place of speaking, or is meant to augment the actual speaking. There is a second aspect to articulating Torah, speaking Torah. And this aspect is conveyed a little bit by a medrash in Nitzavim, on that pasuk of Beficho Vavcha. It's based on a pasuk in Mishle, which Shlomo talks about the work of a person's soul, nefesh amel, amel lo ki akaf alav pihu. So Chazal say as follows, mi garam lo lahalos, lehelos, filasos, gadol, batara. Which, what causes a person to be a gadol in Torah? Sha'asa pihu ku'ukav shel chamor. He turns his mouth into a, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the mouthpiece of a donkey. The part that is constantly in the donkey's mouth. Never ever leaves. The Medrash continues. When you work in Torah, have a asnacha. should constantly hear the Torah that you study. You should speak it to yourself. What's interesting about this Medrash is it doesn't really speak about retaining Torah as the Gemara in Erevin and the Medrash in Mishlei speaks more about the work of Torah and the constancy of Torah, evoking, of course, that Pasuk in Yeshaya, Le'emushim Picha, Pizaracha, Pizarazaracha, that should never ever alight, it should never ever be removed from your mouth. And I think this matters probably talks about two parts. First of all, the value of Amelos Batar, person who's working hard in Torah. I spoke about this in some of the earlier shir, and the type of effort which Chazal expect the type of commitment and energy. And here, of course, the image to a chamor, an image which is already struck in other psukim, someone learning Torah is like an ox carrying weights or an ox plowing, or like a donkey carrying uh, carrying weights from one place to another. And somehow, if a person is, is involved in speaking Torah and, and discussing Torah, that assures a level of personal investment, of effort, that may not be, may not be, provided if a person just simply sits and thinks. Again, I say may not be because it depends upon the person. But in theory, it's easier to be leisurely and relaxed about Torah study when you're reading. You can imagine the image of a person sitting with his legs crossed, reading a newspaper, Lahavdil reading a piece of Gemara. Whereas if a person is speaking or singing or articulating, in that case, it seems like more of his body is involved, and if more of his body is involved, then more of his resources are allocated. It's easier to be reading and doing something conceivably than to be speaking and doing something, which means that by speaking, you're focusing your energies more 
directly on the study of Torah. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu says again, again, as Chazal paraphrase him, Kishete Hamel Batara, when you're working in Torah, have a Mashmias Aznacha, should hear your Torah, which means you should speak your Torah. But there's another layer to this Medrash, the previous layer. It's compared, I guess, to the bridle. Is that the word, the bridle of a donkey? The part of a donkey that that holds the mouth, prevents the donkey from from biting, in this case also perhaps tethers him to whatever he's pulling, if it's a plow or something else that he's lugging. So Medrash says, Shalozazmi Menu. The sense that if a person speaks Torah, it can, by through articulation, become more part of a person's conscience and subconscious. And that Torah remains with him even beyond the actual study. So if a person is reading a book, or reading any text, and in this case, Lahavdil, the text of Torah, so it's less likely that that experience will carry over to the person once he departs, once he ceases that activity. But anything verbal has a life of its own, carries a life of its own, and can enter a person's conscience and subconscience in ways that will allow it to exist and inform experience even after the experience, per se, the cognitive experience has ended. This was, of course, a very well-known device employed by the Musser movement in a different phrase. The Musser believed that everyone understands moral and immoral activity, but somehow, somehow, in the heat of the moment, psychologically, our conviction melts. So, in their opinion, Moral instruction couldn't just be studied, it had to be infused into a person's subconscious. And hence, Musarniks wouldn't just read moral texts, but they would chant them. Or take a Pasuk or a statement of Chazal and chant it a thousand times, two thousand times. By chanting it, they hoped to better insert it into the subconscious. There's no question that anything like that, certainly if we repeat it again and again, it has a way of entering layers of human experience beyond and beneath conscious, cognitive, rational experience. Um, very interesting Pasuk in the beginning of Parshas Vayetze, Vayikatz Yaakov Mishnaso. Yaakov awoke from his sleep. So Chazal say, Al Tikri Mishnaso, don't say he awoke from his sleep, Elami Mishnaso, he was learning. Of course, the question is, what was he learning or was he sleeping? Which one is true? It couldn't have been both. Is the Pshat Mishnaso from his sleeping or is the Drash Mi Mishnaso correct? And the answer is, sometimes the two can converge. There are people who study Torah with such complete emotional commitment that the Torah um, percolates well beneath their rational experience, and anything beneath their rational experience tends to come out in our dreams. And obviously there are people who dream sugyos and dream the Torah because it's so deeply important to them emotionally. Very famous sefer of Tzedek HaKoyim Lublin, who dreamed certain sugyos and wrote the sugyos after he woke up. Very famous um, Rishon, Abed Yaakov, who ascended to Shemayim in his dreams and asked questions um, from the heavenly court, and he called those questions Shelos Vitruvos Min HaShemayim. So Torah and sleep are not mutually exclusive, and this Medrash talks about the ability to take Torah and make it part of us, either because we think about it after we leave, a very famous Telsus and Brachos, how come we don't have to recite a Birchas every time we start learning? After all, there's been a half sec since our previous moment of learning. And Telsus answers, because even when you leave, you're still involved in Torah study. Even when you leave the base matters, leave the actual formal study parameters. And one interpretation of Telsus is that 
even when you leave the base madness, you're thinking about the topic you studied, you're thinking about new ideas, new questions, new answers. There are other ways to read Tosos, but that's the literal way of reading Tosos. The same thing here. A person wants to take Torah the same way that donkey will take its mouthpiece and will never remove its mouthpiece. The Torah should never be removed. Again, the language of the Medrash and Devarim Rabbah, Shalom Zazmi Menu, which should never leave his mouth. So it's more likely that that experience will occur if Torah has been verbally articulated. Either because he'll think about it in an active sense, or even if he's not thinking about it, it will inform his experience in a subconscious sense, the same way it will come out in a dream. So this seems to be a second reason that articulating Torah, speaking Torah, would be important. Because it both enables and facilitates greater effort, Yegiyah Torah, and it also creates a more enduring experience of Talmud Torah, again based on that Pasuk in Yeshaya, Lo Yamushu, in order to assure Lo Yamushu Mipicha, Zarecha. Again, it's something which, as I said before, seems to be an ideal in Chazal, whether for the technical, pragmatic reason of enabling memory and retention, or because of the experiential reason of generating energy commitment to Torah, as well as creating a multi-layer Torah experience. Again, there are other features that may um, that may counterindicate, that may, in some people's instance, make it harder for them to to speak, or in some cases to sing Torah, whether it's the setting you're in and recognizing other people's need to learn, or that you're involved in something which um, singing or speaking won't deter, whether it's writing or articulating or thinking. And as with everything else in Chazal, it has to be put into the right context. So for many people, when they're not involved in the creative aspects of Torah, of understanding new ideas, of organizing new ideas, of writing new ideas, and they'll sing their Torah. As we would say, Bikiyos very often is associated with verbalization of the learning, whereas when they're involved in in creating ideas, new ideas, so maybe the singing will uh, redirect their energies and their focus, so then in some cases they're more involved in a quiet form of Torah study. But the role of peh, the role of mouth, of verbalization in Torah study is something which Chazal took very seriously based on these second.